the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, a very pleasant good afternoon to you, and welcome. Welcome to the Friday edition of Lifeline. We have finally made it through the week, yay, yay, and heading into the weekend now. And as we do so, help to make the transition into your weekend. Glad that you're along for this edition of Lifeline. Got a great program planned for you today as we lead off the show on this Friday, May the 18th. A bit of a reversal of fortune, at least for now, on Wall Street. We've seen a pretty significant uptick over the last week. A little bit of volatility has uh, sort of been the norm over the last few months. But to what do we attribute all of this? Seeing stronger earnings reports on Wall Street, certainly a big part of the news. And how all of that relates to you as you think about planning for a child's education or retirement planning, things of that sort. Well, to get some insights, we're joined now by 30-plus-year money manager and retirement planning specialist Pat Fitucci, who hosts the program Don't Invest and Forget, heard Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. on our sister station, AM 1220 KDOW. Well, Pat, the news this week is the Dow direction starting to head once again a bit more northward. That certainly has got to be encouraging investors. And I'm wondering, in terms of some of the um, sectors that are driving all of this, what, what do we attribute to that we're beginning to see a little bit of northward balance into Wall Street? Well, it's really hard to succinctly define it, but here's my wild guess. And again, everybody's wild guess is a little bit different. But I think you're going to start to see Trump's tax plan kind of bleeding into the system. Corporate America, with its new lower tax bracket from 35% tax bracket to 21, you're starting to see the buybacks that were projected. You're starting to see expansion. They're going to use that money as All good corporate boards are required to put that money to work, their shareholders. I don't know of anybody that I've talked to that is looking for a job that can't find a job. I feel sorry for those guys standing on the corner saying, I can't find a job. Give me a dollar so I can go buy a cup of coffee. Uh, Literally right down the street are three help wanted signs. Of course, many of them have mental health issues. That's another whole story that we don't have time for today. But my point is, I think... The stock market will have a much more productive next couple quarters. The first quarter or so was pretty flat. It was a lot of consternation over what this tax program is going to be all about. What about the the trade wars with China? What about President Trump backing out of the Iran deal? What does that mean? We bomb Syria. A lot of geopolitical events that make investors pretty nervous. And until those things kind of shake out and see the degree and and the... um, perception of what that means to the average American working couple today. It's it been kind of a sideways movement. But the last week or so, as you point out, the Dow is up about a thousand points. And we'll see how all that works out in the second and third and fourth quarter. But I'm cautiously optimistic, Craig, that we're going to have a fairly productive year given the sequence of events. Again, we've got a meeting coming up allegedly with Kim Jong-un of North Korea. 
that has been a big source of tension on Wall Street. And hopefully that's real. It's it's not a fabrication on North Korea's part to soften us up. And I don't think you're going to soften up President Trump on this issue. He's pretty street smart. And so he's not going to get head faked by this guy, I don't think. So we'll see how all that turns out. But all the arrows, Craig, are pointing in the right direction. Uh, yes, the Federal Reserve will start raising rates. That's understandable. I don't think they're going to get overly aggressive. I had a caller yesterday. Well, do you think they're going to raise it a half point? No, I don't think so. I think it's going to be a pretty modest quarter point rise and maybe another one in the fall, maybe a third one in the latter part of the year. Not going to shake the world up too much. What we're seeing on the retail front is probably the most exciting and maybe disturbing. And Macy's came out with some really good numbers, finally, after years of deplorable numbers. But you see Whole Foods is shaking up that, that whole food industry. And Craig, I got to tell you, it's all about food because we all need food. Food brings foot traffic into your stores. So we've seen Target and Kohl's, now even the dollar store, having food in the store just to bring in some traffic so we can pick up those other impulsive items that we think we need, but we need them, we buy them, and we put them in the bottom drawer. Walmart sales up 33%, getting very successful in their online system. And now having they bought a company called Flipkey, which is an Indian online retailer, which is going to really allowed them to compete head-to-head with Whole Foods, recently purchased by Amazon. So the Amazon-Whole Foods merger really turned things upside down. I heard this morning, you can buy a bag of groceries from Whole Foods delivered cheaper than if you go to Kohl's and buy it yourself. On top of that, apparently now Whole Foods is announcing that they're going to begin offering special discounts to all of the Amazon Prime members. So not only will you save money when it comes to shipping items that you purchase online from Amazon, but apparently you'll save additional money at the stores as well. That food industry is just being turned upside down. JCPenney, again, we've seen another um, down period. I'm not sure if this company can last too much longer. Sears selling off Some of its brand names, they sold off their tool division a year or so ago. Now they're talking about other assets of the company being sold off. So Sears and JCPenney, I'm I'm real concerned about their ability to withstand any kind of long-term view of survival. I I just think they've not been able to get out of their own way. They've not been able to reinvent themselves as Target has, as... um, Even Macy's, maybe it's a little blip in their performance, but they good quarter as well. So the shopping patterns of all of us will change dramatically as we continue to look at buying our bananas online, having them delivered before they turn to brown mush. That's a challenge. And when you get a box of fresh produce from Whole Foods delivered to your door without all the bother of going down, parking, getting a shopping cart, filling up the shopping cart, bagging it, and now they don't give you bags anymore. you got to pay for the darn bags anymore. I always forget them in the car, so i got to buy five more bags at $0.10. By the way, that $0.10, you know, Craig, doesn't go to, like, save the whale foundation or anything. It goes right in the corporate profits, so that always disturbed me. I wouldn't mind spending the $0.10 if it went to, you know, some altruistic charitable group that's going to benefit from it, but... The shopping experience, even for food, which in theory we all need to be at the food store you know, at least once a week or so, being radically overturned. And credit Jeff Bezos for kind of putting the uh, food industry on its head and 
Safeway is certainly challenged, and they're coming up much more stronger with their their truck delivery system. So interesting to watch. Interesting to watch the share price appreciation as these companies attempt to navigate this new world of uh, shopping. And clearly standing on your laurels of a company that has a hundred plus year history is simply not going to cut it anymore. I mean, if anything, we could look at some of these historic companies like J.C. Penney's in back in the day, Montgomery <laughs> Wards, certainly Sears, and say that while they've been at the party a long time, they have failed to show up in terms of being forward looking to anticipate the paradigm shift that we've seen in shopping habits. And Pat, as you aptly point out, the convenience of sitting down behind your computer at home and saying, okay, I don't have to get dressed, get into the car, drive through the rain, go to the grocery store, spend an hour running through the aisles. They move things all the time. I can't figure out half the time where the produce department is and come back and pay just as much practically as you do for the convenience of sitting down online and ordering your food. While that seemed to be a silly notion, maybe even as recent as 10 or 15 years ago during the first dot-com bubble. Today, it's becoming more and more practical and, frankly, more and more of a reality. I'm going to send my self-driving car to pick up those groceries <laughs> at Whole Foods. The only nuisance I have is to bring it from the car in the garage into my refrigerator. Craig, I was wondering if you could come over and, and get that done for me. Yes, I'll, I'll get to work on that right away. <laughs> some, I appreciate that very much. Some good insights into the world of money, the changing face, quite frankly, of the retail industry as well. And of course, as that continues to change, responsiveness from investors, whether you're looking at this from simply a short-term basis or a long-term basis for retirement planning, money invested in an IRA or a 401k, staying on top of all of this is critically important. And much of the information available to you is online easily by going to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com, where on a weekly basis, new articles, insights, and information from Pat Vitucci to give you some of the story behind the story to better understand not just the trends in the markets, as we've been discussing today, but most importantly, where you are in relationship to those trends and your timeline for retirement. More information available at don'tinvestandforget.com. We'll take a brief time out come back to more of our conversation right after this and now back to lifeline with craig roberts welcome back to this friday edition of lifeline we're today in studio with pat vitucci from vitucci and associates talking about the world of money wall street and of course your financial life well, Pat, as we often know, life is usually a juggling act. It's a balance between career, marriage, kids, the day-to-day -day necessities, earning money, paying taxes, things of that sort. But as we get older, that balancing act, I think, becomes even a bit more challenging as we have to fold in concerns about things like a child's education and retirement planning and dealing with the aspects of aging that typically come with a big price tag. Give us some insights, if you would, based on your more than 30 years helping people plan for retirement about how do they strike that balance in between retirement planning, caring for themselves, their families, caring for an aging parent. Yeah, I think, Craig, there are kind of two juggling periods, if you will. One that's like in your 40s. Another juggling period is in your 60s. Let's talk about juggling in your 40s. When you're in your 40s, you're juggling with three competing areas that you really are tantamount on your mind. One is 
fully funding your plan at work, 401k, 457, 403b. So I want to get that maximum because if I put more in, my company will match up to a certain amount. So that's one bucket you want to really fund. How about college savings? Your kids are 10, 12, 14. You've got to really start pounding away some additional monies to help them get through those expensive periods. And then what about paying down an extra 500 bucks on your mortgage, 100 bucks on your mortgage, so that 20 years from now you've got um, much more equity in your home. So it's all a juggling act. Do I maximize my 401K? Do I maximize college savings? Do I fund the 529 plan for my kids? Or do I pay down my mortgage? The answer is different for each of us. My priority is max out your plan at work. Secondarily, put a couple bucks away for college savings. And don't put any money extra on the mortgage. You're borrowing money at pretty cheap rates. And after appreciation of your home and deductibility of the mortgage, that's pretty cheap money, pretty smart debt. So I wouldn't touch that one. You can't borrow money when you retire to fund your grocery bill. So you got to really have enough money there. You can certainly take money out of your 401k to help college savings, not a favorable, but if there's not enough money in your retirement plan, there's no money to take out for college savings. So I think the priority is max out your 401k, your plan at work, secondarily throw a couple bucks into the kids' 529 plans, and if there's no money left over, then leave the mortgage alone. So that's in your 40s. That's that triangle of commitments and you're trying to balance it, and it, it could be very dangerous if you opt for none of them or if you insisting on paying down your mortgage. A lot to be said about how that juggling is conducted, all based on, of course, your cash flow, your budget. you got to sprinkle in a vacation or two in, in those years as well. How about in your 60s, Craig? A whole nother balancing act. Certainly, you want to live off your retirement if you are fully retired without eroding your principal. People say, wow, I've got a million bucks. I can really, let's party like it's 1999. A million bucks ain't what it used to be. And so we've got to be very cautious to take out really modest amounts. What about taking care of an elderly parent or maybe even your spouse that needs extra time, money, assistance, or maybe an in-home care person? So that caregiving can start to nibble away at that financial chunk of money. And then, of course, you have to look at what are your other alternate sources of income? Do you have rental income? Do you have a small business? Are you working part-time? So all that juggling, maintaining your retirement money without depreciating and eating into the principal too early in your retirement, that will spell disaster. We get calls lots of times, Craig, people are taking out 10% per year and they've seen their balances drop precipitously in the first three or four or five years. Wow, that's a dangerous trajectory that you're on, and it really needs careful attention or reevaluation, reprioritization of where the spending is coming from. You know, what is your overhead just too darn much? And that's not going to change anytime soon unless you make some radical decisions like selling the expensive home or reducing expenses, selling the second or third car. All those kinds of things need careful introspection and not only introspection, but it needs decisions. I can't tell you how many times we talk to people and they have this paralysis analysis. They recognize the problem and they go on for years not doing anything anything about it. You know, you got to execute on those decisions as painful as it might be to sell the second or third car or downsize your home and take that excess equity in your home and 
start living off some of that income uh, invested. So two periods of our life that I think are especially challenging and how you execute during those periods in your 40s when you've got those seemingly um, competing forces tugging at your weekly paycheck. And then in your 60s, when you have taken care of a spouse or a parent or maybe even a child or a grandchild needs special attention or health issues. Your your son lost his job. He's got health issues or there's a substance abuse problem. He needs to go to a, he or she knows needs to go to a special care plan of some sort, which A, you can't work and B, it costs 20 or 30 grand to go to one of these uh, rehab places. So a lot of real life stories out there. We get calls, emails for a long, long time. We've heard a lot of stories. There is good constructive plans to create, execute on some of these real life issues and get through them and survive. We all have bumps in the road and nothing is ever smooth and easy. So getting through those periods from a financial perspective can be a challenge, but it's very, very, very doable, Craig. And, and we've we, we worked through a whole variety of these kinds of issues with our, with our clients. Pat, speak, if you would, to those that are of the it's not going to happen to me mindset. And I ask that because so often we find circumstances where, gee, mom and dad were really strong and finished strong, and so that'll be the same for me. Or we just anticipate that many of the challenges that others face are somehow that cloud's going to go right past me. And oftentimes this relates specifically when it comes to dwindling health in later years and the enormous expenses that can be related with that. People think about, well, I'll just move into a retirement home and really have never taken the time to count the cost or start considering a long-term care insurance policy when it's entirely too late. Yeah. You know, no one wishes anything bad on anybody, but we seem to all have our turn in the barrel, as they say. And, and as you live through that, those difficult periods, as Pollyanna as this sounds, they, those are character building periods of our life. And we could all look back on, we've had rough times in our life. How you handle those issues, look back and say, I was proud of what I did when I was handed that box of lemons. You know, I, I survived and I thrived and I I made good, conscionable decisions, as difficult as, as it may have been, to work through those periods. And no one's immune. I don't know of anybody that's gone through health issues, marital issues, financial issues, in-law issues, kid issues, grandkid issues. There's all kinds of challenges that come up. And what's the reality of it? And how do you emotionally get through those periods? And that's, that's a whole other paradigm of mindset that is needed then what are the financial implications of that? And if you go the wrong direction, it could have lifelong effect on what, what you decide. I, the, the movie City Slickers comes to mind. Remember the, the City Slicker movie? These four guys go out, do a dude ranch, and the, the young guy is probably 35, 40 years old, going through a divorce. Billy Crystal gives advice to his good friend who's going through this divorce. He said, it's like a do-over. It's like when we used to play stoop ball Back in Brooklyn, you weren't ready, so we're going to have a do-over. It's a do-over in life, and he was going to chalk that marriage up to experience. So we all like to have a do-over when we go through some of these challenges, and we could have done that and should have done that, and you know, the coulda, shoulda, woulda. It takes lots of drilling down to your heart and soul as to what direction you should go and when you go through these trying periods. And most people make the absolute right decision guess what? A lot of clients call my office to say, okay, here's my challenge. Uh, I need X amount of money. You know, what's the right course of action? 
And we're there as their financial advisors, and we give them our thoughts. Sometimes they follow our thoughts. Most times they do. Sometimes they don't. That's okay. They ask us their opinion, and we, we gladly oblige them. So there's some financial implications to lots of those twists and turns that are thrown at us, and um, most people survive very, very nicely, Craig. Learning, of course, how to balance all of these challenges through the different stages of life sometimes is art, sometimes it's science. How about some advice? How about some insights in terms of determining just how well you're doing at the balancing act? And maybe perhaps you need to spend a little bit more time and attention fine-tuning one area or another. You can either go online to don'tinvestandforget.com and schedule your appointment online at don'tinvestandforget.com. Once again, that's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or if you prefer, you can call toll-free 888-PLANWISE. And our thanks to Pat Fatucci for being with us again on this edition of Lifeline. All right, time for a brief timeout to get you updated on some traffic, then back with more here on the Friday edition of Lifeline from KFAX. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You can be uh, sure that at some point when Congress gets away from their other financial distractions, they will return once again to the topic of gun control. They did as they did so following the Sandy Took events. Joining me now with some insights, we're joined by Bill Frady. Bill is host of the nationally syndicated program called Lock and Load, presented by Gun Owners of America. Bill, thanks for taking some time to be with us tonight. Um, I I guess only the distraction of other things going on in Washington, D.C. has temporarily delayed the parade of, once again, renewed demands to uh, truncate Second Amendment rights. Yeah, yeah, right now they've got bigger fish to fry. Uh, It's really... You know, in the United States, uh, since Sandy Hook, uh, there's been five studies and surveys taken. Uh, two of them, actually three of them are quite notable because one was Harvard, one was the CDC, and one that was the Justice Department. And what the CDC found out is, uh, John Lott's numbers and Gary Kleck's numbers and all of, all the numbers that we hear about two and a half million, three million gun uses per year in defense are true. And that law-abiding gun owners are very good people. They don't break the law. They they, they don't snap because they're carrying the evil gun. Uh, police, uh, the, we had the police one survey where they did 15,000 police officers across the country. And uh, the lowest percentage of police that were talking about they preferred having Americans armed with guns was in the 80 percentile. Uh, they don't believe more gun control is going to stop crime or do anything. Uh, then, of course, we had uh, the Pew Research Center, and uh, I think I've named them all now. Crime is down 49%. Gun violence, violent crime across the board is down half of what it was 20 years ago. It, it's a non-problem. And, but that's not why they're pursuing gun control, so that's why they continue to pursue gun control. It has nothing to do with personal safety or uh, preventing crime, because... Gun control doesn't prevent crime. It it uh, motivates crime. Well, and, you know, the, the absolute irony in almost without failure, every one of these cases from the White House, I'm sorry, from the uh, wire story that I'm reading right here um, that suggests that the uh, potential woman in this 
event there on Capitol Hill today, 34-year-old Miriam Carey, um, a dental hygienist from Connecticut who, quote, was described by sources as having a history of mental illness, close quote. Certainly in the case of uh, the Naval Shipyard shooter, a history of mental illness. There seems to be a common thread in almost every one of these cases. As eager as Congress is to try to move in and outlaw guns, how come nobody's attempting to try and outlaw mental illness? Well, that's because they would have to treat it differently. Um, uh, Dr. Keith Ablow is a psychiatrist that writes for Fox News, and he, he was talking about Aaron Alexis, and Aaron Alexis could have been redeemed. Most of these people could be redeemed, but what happens is they go to a they go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and they get some over the counter well over oral medication like Paxil or Ritalin or Zoloft or one of those psychotropic compounds, and that really doesn't address their issue. The ones that are deeply, I mean, Aaron Alexis, he did everything but uh, write out a letter, big block letter. Somebody needs to help me. He went to the police. He went to the VA. He had shoot. He had two shooting incidents prior to uh, getting cleared to work at the naval shipyard, um, and and still nobody did anything. He, and, I, and ironically, nobody looking at any of the psychiatrists involved in this and saying, "Gee, we need to do an investigation into potential malpractice here because of the failure of the mental health professionals to aggressively respond or react to the obvious cry for help." I, you know, I don't know if the, these guys fall under the uh, the heading of medical misadventure, but um, if you want to go after the two biggest killers in the United States, or two, I think the average is two and a half million people die unnaturally per year, and the biggest killers are alcohol and tobacco, and then medical misadventure, which kills about two hundred thousand people a year. And I don't know if these these poor people that uh, fall through the cracks of the mental health system could be listed under medical misadventure, but they, uh, they certainly need to they need to take a very serious look at, at, at the way they're treating these people. One of the states that, that ironically has um, come across fairly unscathed in terms of this kind of widespread bloodshed in, uh, in recent years and yet has taken some of the hardest line against gun control is uh, the state of California. Um, yeah. There is now an attempt to try, and, and, and I guess at the end of the day, you'll have to help us understand this, Bill. Uh, it, it seems as if it's now gotten down to an attempt to try and outlaw hunting rifles. Well, what they want to do is they all want to outlaw all semi-automatic rifles that have a detachable box magazine, which abandons all pretense beyond the assault weapon ban. Now, you've you got to understand, first of all, assault weapon, the term assault weapon is a term that was coined by the uh, Violence Policy Center, which is a rabid anti-gun group. And they termed that back in 1988 as, as a way to uh, cause an emotional reaction to the description, assault weapon. Uh, not a target pistol, not a sporting rifle. Uh, the, the same rifles, by the way, are referred to by the Department of Homeland Security as personal defense weapons. But... Um, in the hands of a civilian, it becomes a, an assault weapon. And uh, now they've abandoned all pretense, and they're going just about everything that launches a bullet. Well, the Remington that was used in the naval shipyard shootings, uh, what I understand to be a simple pump-action shotgun, does that suddenly come under the category of an assault weapon? Uh, well, they <laughs> one state had a buyback not too, since the D.C. shooting. And uh, one of the buybacks that somebody bought uh, turned in a pump shotgun with an extendable stock, and that was the that they 
uh, claimed they had collected an assault shotgun. Um, one one characteristic that uh, all weapons and you know shotguns arguably uh, are in Aurora. James Holmes killed twelve people. The first weapon he turned on the moviegoers was a Remington eight seventy shotgun. And uh, my theory is he probably killed eight people with the shotgun before he went to the center fire rifle. Because a shotgun up close is devastating. It, it is much more dangerous. Uh, at 50 yards, a, a shotgun with the right kind of ammo can take out a car. What this is, is, is simply this. With, with uh, the so-called assault weapons, the military lookalikes that have the same uh, semi-automatic capability as a true assault rifle does when it's in semi-automatic. If they ban those, first of all, it's not going to have any impact on crime because more people get killed with hands and feet every year than they do with any sort of long rifle. They know that, so they ban those, or they, they heavily restrict those. And that has no impact on crime, and crime continues on. So then they come back, and I think what you've got in California is you have this happening now. They come back when that first go-round that first restrictive go-round doesn't work, and they come back and say, well, we didn't ban enough. And they keep on banning and banning until one day you've got a single-shot rifle that, uh, you know. And, and still, you know, that weapon is lethal. I, they, they, what, what Senator Leland Yee and a lot of the politicians in California want is a fairy tale land. It's a land that does not exist. There is no gun-free utopia. That genie is out of the bottle. Criminals are not going to pay attention to it. Well, and we know clearly from the battles over these kinds of issues in times past, the last time we had um, California Senator Dianne Feinstein uh, jump on this bandwagon with both feet and insisting that we needed to uh, permanently ban assault weapons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and how terrible they were and that people should not be carrying guns. And then we find out, oops, she's got a concealed weapons permit. I don't have a problem with her as a senator carrying, but when there is sort of the elitist attitude that certain people get to have guns and others don't, you know, it comes down to one basic thing, that as we see this continued push, it's not addressing the real problem here, number one. And to number two, you're going to wind up with two groups of people having weapons, uh, the police force, which is heading more toward a militaristic style um you know, almost paramilitary troopers any more than police these days with the way they're being armed, and the criminals. And meanwhile, the law-abiding citizens will simply get caught in the middle, no access to weapons whatsoever, which is kind of seemingly where things are headed if they get their way. Check out LockAndLoadRadio.com. That's LockAndLoadRadio.com, a part of Gun Owners of America. And there is Bill Frady on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, joining us today in studio, a very special guest. He is lead pastor of Vineyard Christian Church, located on the Mid-Peninsula in San Carlos. He's Pastor Duke Tabor. And Pastor Tabor, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me. And I guess we should say a happy anniversary to you. I understand you've just recently celebrated three years as senior pastor at Vineyard Fellowship on the Peninsula. So congratulations and welcome, a bit belated, to the San Francisco Bay Area. <laughs> Well, thank you. Uh, it's great to be here and great to be on the program. Uh, yeah, three years, it's gone fast. Uh, it's been just a, you know, we got a great group of people and it's been enjoyable. It hasn't been painful. What have you found different about 
pastoring in the Bay Area? And I ask that question as we'll learn your story today. Um, you originally have your roots in the Pacific Northwest, just outside of the City of the Roses, Portland, Oregon. You spent some time pastoring. Uh, I guess we should call it a ghost town. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Out in Lincoln County, part of Nevada. Where is that even near? Anything that folks would know? Yeah. Stone's Not throw really. From... It's 100 miles south of Ely and 175, or 170 miles north of Vegas. All right. So I guess the, the Vegas reference would, would at least give us a little sense. but. Yeah. but it's on the really eastern a, side. A teeny tiny small town. And, of course, uh, both, I think, um, huge contrasts from yes. pastoring in a major metropolitan area that is uh, not only in the cutting edge in terms of technology and, of course, uh, perhaps the makeup of the Bay Area uh, looks like any mission field anywhere on planet Earth all melded into one. <laughs> yeah, well, Pioch was, uh, had a population of 750. Salute! Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it was primarily a, a Mormon community uh, with a couple evangelical churches, and yeah, it was it was quite different. But uh, and I've primarily ministered in flyover country. Uh, spent most of time both in Pioch and in Ely, and then in a little town called Pine Haven, Wyoming, and. Uh, those are places that people forget about, and it's quite different than the Bay Area, both uh, demographically and politically, and uh, their worldview is just totally different. So it's been interesting. It's been an adjustment, but it's been good. Do you get the sense that you're literally sort of on the front lines of the battlefield in terms of the kind of missionary work that needs to be done in an area like this that um, – I guess largely because of our success economically, as well as sort of the California mindset. We're we're, we're kind of different animals out here in the Bay Area from from most parts of the, the flyover country, as you call it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it is. Um, oh, it's hard to you know it's hard to digest it into one little paragraph. But uh, the culture of the Bay Area has a worldview that, well, I I just call it politically correct. And in that, they look at everything from just a, a natural perspective of the five senses, and they look at it from a perspective of we are on the cutting edge, we, a little bit of pridefulness of, you know, we have it together, versus what I see as a biblical worldview is that Yes, we understand that there's five senses, but we also understand that there is something beyond the five senses that is supernatural in nature and not just natural. And we also understand that the scriptures is where we base our culture, not just what we have experienced around us. So as a worldview, uh, there is a change and a transformation that has to happen and it doesn't happen or it it doesn't come naturally to those in the bay area and we are having to show them that there is more while perhaps it may be true that most people don't recognize the spiritual dynamic do you think that nevertheless there are ways and fashions in which they're seeking to try and fulfill that spiritual hunger in their life that 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 god-shaped hole so to speak oh absolutely yeah, you're 
we are all created with a God-shaped hole, and we will fill it with whatever we can figure out to fill it with. And for some, it may be uh, technology and diversion and gaming and those types of things. For other, it might be uh, drugs, alcohol. For others, it might be relationships, uh, including those that are harmful relationships. Uh, but they all try to fill it. And in all honesty, they all have gods. Just look at their checkbook. You'll figure out what their god is. Very true. They say if you want to get to a, a, a peek into the man's soul, just peek into his checkbook. And That's right. You a lot. That's right. What about yourself in, in terms of your own life experience coming to find fulfillment in, in, in meeting that hunger that maybe early on you didn't recognize was was your spirit longing for a relationship with the Creator. Eventually, of course, that came to fruition. Tell us a bit about your, your journey. How did that all begin? Well, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, which has a lot of the same type of culture uh, in the Portland area as the Bay Area does. And I grew up, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And that's where you looked for uh, your fulfillment. Uh, I was involved in music. I was a bass player, uh, singer. I, uh, and this was in early years in high school. Uh, and, you know, I was searching for it. I, in fact, I remember giving a speech on astrology in speech class and, you know, was reading books on how to astral, do astral projection and those types of things. And so I was seeking, not even realizing I was seeking, because out of one side of my mouth I was looking for all these things, and out of the other side of my mouth I said, there's no God. And so uh, for me, my experience happened. It was, I guess it's unique. I don't know. I, it was unique to me is uh, I met a Christian girl who broke the rules. Uh, she said she would go out with me if I'd go to church with her. <laughs> missionary dating. <laughs> That's right, missionary dating. And I, I'd i been to church. Uh, I was, uh, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I was sprinkled as a Presbyterian as a baby, and I went to church with my grandparents, and they gave me... Uh, uh, peppermint lifesavers to keep me quiet while I was sitting there in the pews. And uh, as a uh, in junior high, I went and I was confirmed as a Methodist, uh, went through their confirmation class. But I had no spiritual experience. This was just Muffed around religion, but not relationship. Yeah, exactly. And so I thought, I can handle this God thing. I'll go to church with her and, you know, we'll start dating. And so I went to church with her, and it wasn't like church that I had ever experienced before. And it wasn't that I remember anything about, it was a youth group, and I didn't remember anything about the message the youth pastor gave. The only thing I remembered is that they prayed like somebody was listening on the other end. Mm. It wasn't these prayers that, you know, I'd been to church and they prayed these lofty prayers that, you know, they're trying to impress one another, not God. I mean, you know, oh, thou art heavenly father who thus. It's like, you know, who are you trying to uh, impress here? But that wasn't the type of prayers I heard there. They said, Jesus, come, speak to our hearts. Lord, we have these needs. We ask that you would take care of them. 
And that bugged me. I mean, that just really bugged me because, like, is there someone on the other end? And I'd never seen that. So I went home, couldn't sleep, wrestled with everything. I was, I was, uh, uh, I was a kid who uh, parents had divorced. My mom had remarried. My stepfather was problematic at best, and I was a mess. I was uh, binge drinking on the weekends, smoking dope. You know, I'd done acid. I'd, I'd done all the drugs, and I was a mess. And so I, my sinner's prayer was simply, God, if you're really there, do something with me. And at that point, my life was changed. If you've joined our conversation a bit late, today in studio with the lead pastor of Vineyard Church Mid-Peninsula, located in San Carlos, he's Pastor Duke Tabor. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation right after this. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 